Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, December 4th. I'm Lorraine Caceres. These are today's headlines. 2,800 deaths in just one day, the pandemic growing out of control across the United States as experts warn the domestic death toll could reach half a million people by spring. And as the Biden-Harris team continues its transition into the White House, the president-elect saying he will ask all Americans to wear a mask during his first 100 days in office. This as his coronavirus response team ramps up its efforts to contain the pandemic. And a new report from the federal government revealing a stalled economy. The number of jobs added in November missing forecast figures as the economic crisis grows more dire. The details and more today on U News. We begin today with the latest on the pandemic, the push for a vaccine. It's in its final stretch as former U.S. presidents vowed to help boost trust by taking the shot publicly. Meanwhile, states struggling to keep hospitals afloat, California inching closer to another much wider lockdown. Coronavirus death projections in the U.S. growing worse by the day. The Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation now predicting more than half a million COVID deaths by April. Suggesting daily deaths will peak at 3,000 in mid-January before gradually falling. More hospitals in this country are right on that edge of not being able to provide that care. That's when the number of deaths will really go up. Nationwide, 14 million cases of COVID-19 have been recorded so far this year, and hospitals across the nation are running out of beds. Currently, there are zero staffed ICU beds in our state's southwest region. The American Ambulance Association says the 911 emergency call system is at a breaking point. There's nurses, respiratory techs, they are tired, they are stressed, stressed. They are pushed to the limits. Some governors feeling forced to implement drastic restrictions. In California, an automatic three-week lockdown will be triggered as soon as ICU capacity falls below 15% in any region of the state. Only schools would remain open. The bottom line is if we don't act now, our hospital system will be overwhelmed. Meanwhile, states getting ready to store and distribute vaccines prioritizing healthcare workers and nursing homes. We ought to, ought to be able to have all of them vaccinated with their second dose by mid-late January. And end of February, we will have potentially immunized 100 million people. The push now is to make sure Americans trust the vaccine. Former Presidents Clinton, Bush and Obama saying they will get their dose publicly to help boost confidence. I may end up taking it on, on TV or having it filmed just so that people know. I trust this science. And vaccine approvals can come as soon as next week, which means vaccinations could start in less than two weeks. In Massachusetts, facilities across the state have been preparing for the severe surge in coronavirus infections the nation is now experiencing. Grecia Lastra shows us how state and local officials are bracing for what's still to come. With cases surging and pressure mounting, a field hospital at the D.C. Youth Center in Worcester opening its doors this weekend. Sunday. Yeah, we, we have a list of patients that would come over right now if we were open today. And soon a second field hospital opening at its recreation center at UMass Lowell. The state pleading with medical workers to help staff up. If you have the skills, the ability, the can-do attitude and have time to work in a hospital, we need you. 
At UMass Memorial, they're cutting back on some procedures. Doctors' concerns the worst is yet to come. We have definitely not seen, from our perspective, the worst of what we're going to see for hospitalizations. Yesterday, daily cases spiked to the highest levels yet in the state. The governor acknowledging it comes a week after Thanksgiving, but not directly attributing it to the holiday. Obviously, I think what we want to see is what the next few days look like. A bright spot, the vaccine within reach. We're expecting uh, to see somewhere around 300,000 doses by the end of the calendar year. Doctors applauding those who are following the rules. They're wearing their masks, they're social distancing. Then when they do go out, they see people that aren't following the rules. It's because of those people that we have this field hospital going up again. This is Grecia Lastra for U News. And several states face a deadline today to submit requests for doses of Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine and to specify where they should be shipped. Many states appear to be heeding non-binding guidelines adopted this week by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to put healthcare workers and nursing home patients first. And federal health officials say everyone who gets the COVID-19 vaccine will be issued a vaccination card to keep in their wallet. The Department of Defense released the first images of vaccination kits on Wednesday. The vaccination cards will be used as a record of who has had one and when their next dose is due. Vaccination clinics will also be reporting to their state immunization registries what vaccine was given and every dose administered will be reported to the CDC. And a new monthly jobs report is out. The U.S. economy added 245,000 jobs in November as the unemployment rate ticked down to 6.7%. Job growth has slowed each month since June, and the report reveals the economy faces a number of near-term challenges, including a new surge of coronavirus infection that triggered some states and localities to impose new restrictions on businesses. In October, the economy added 638,000 jobs as payroll growth roughly held steady despite a surge in COVID-19 cases. And Congress's failure to provide more aid to unemployed Americans and struggling businesses. <laughs> and President-elect Biden isn't in the Oval Office yet, but there's still plenty of work to be done. As the Biden-Harris transition team focus on pandemic planning and the series of obstacles they will need to confront on day one. Edwin Piti brings us the latest from the nation's capital. Edwin. Hi, Lorraine. Incoming President Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris sat down for their first interview since Election Day. They talk about many things, how to move this nation forward, and especially their plan to tackle the pandemic by flattening the curve without shutting down the economy. Biden started by letting the country know what he will ask of them on Inauguration Day. Take a listen. My inclination, uh, Jake, is on the first day I'm inaugurated to say I'm going to ask the public for 100 days to mask. Just 100 days to mask. Not forever, 100 days. And I think we'll see a significant reduction if we occur that, if that occurs with vaccinations and masking to drive down the numbers considerably. 
Biden added that he has been talking to governors and mayors from both parties, and they all agree that better guidance and more funds are needed. That's why Biden is supporting the $908 billion bipartisan proposal in Congress to help states and cities, unemployed Americans, and small businesses. According to the president-elect, that's a good start, but that will mean that the country needs more aid. That's why he's urging members of Congress to focus on what struggling Americans need the most. The vaccine continues to be very important. Dr. Anthony Fauci met with Biden and his transition team to update them on the status of the pandemic and the logistics to distribute the vaccine. However, Biden asked Fauci to continue to work for the country under his administration. Listen. I ask him to stay on in the exact same role he's had for the past several presidents. And I ask him to be a chief medical advisor for me as well and be part of the COVID team. Now, Biden said that more than several Republican senators have called to privately congratulate him on the election win. Many of them have yet to acknowledge his victory publicly because of fear to what President Trump could do. Even this morning, Trump started his day tweeting and saying that Republicans need to get tough, meaning for them to be more outspoken when it comes to defending his baseless claims on election fraud. But the reality is that Trump is not alone. Since Election Day, he has managed to raise $207 million, money that will probably go into Save America, a political action committee that the president can use for different activities after he leaves office. Some of the contributions will go towards what is left of the president's legal fight over the certification of election results. Reporting live in Washington, D.C. Lorraine, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for that report. And as the Biden-Harris transition planning continues, a lot of the focus is shifting to the president-elect's cabinet picks, with Biden already facing mounting pressure to diversify his senior leadership team. Joining us to talk about this challenge is Sonia Diaz, founding director of the UCLA Latino Policy and Politics Initiative and founding member of the Alliance for Latinx Leadership and Policy. Welcome to you, News, Sonia. Thanks so much for having me. Some of your most recent work focuses on the impo importance of Latino representation in what you call top-tier cabinet positions, positions that historically have not been given to Latinos. Talk to us first about why it's so meaningful to have Latinos visible in these top positions. Yeah, there's been a lot of advocates calling for President-elect Biden to appoint five Latinos to the cabinet. That would be historical. The most we've ever had sitting is three, and that was during the last year of President Obama's eight-year term. Now, what's really important is how close can we have a Latino to the president-elect and the vice president-elect as we're dealing with COVID-19, which has decimated Latino communities. So this necessitates a real clear look by the administration, incoming administration, for the positions that remain in the top tier, defense and attorney general. As you look ahead to specific challenges that will be facing a Biden-Harris administration in America, are there any policy areas where you believe Latino leadership and input at the highest government levels is vital? Absolutely. Every issue is a Latino issue. So this idea that Latinos are a monolith is both um, incorrect, but also not going to help with American recovery. We know that Latinos, like their Black American peers, have been hardest hit by COVID-19 in terms of infections and mortality rates. But we also know that Latinos drive the American economy. 
And right now, too many Latinas are being forced out of work and out of the labor force. These are things that need to be rectified under the new administration. But in order to do that, you need to have someone in the room closest to the presidency in the line of succession that can really amplify a critical mass of diverse voices. This isn't about Latinos and every other Americans. Latinos are Americans, but we need to make sure that we have the substantive and descriptive representation to have better decision making. And Sonia, as you were speaking at the beginning of this conversation, uh, historically, Latinos haven't been well represented, to, uh, represented in top-tier cabinet positions in U.S. administrations. What type of work needs to be done or even can be done to influence, to influence who gets top administration posts? Yeah, there's so much work being done by advocates right now, including the organizations that I'm a part of, that are really saying we have quality individuals who are ready and willing to serve. And presiding those names, ensuring that they're vetted and communicating with President-elect Biden's transition. That also has to do racial and ethnic coalition building with Black Americans and Asian American leaders to make sure that we really have a diverse cabinet, diverse executive branch. So this means sharing information, doing the vetting, but also this narrative change, this idea that it's not about building a pipeline for Latinos. They're already at the upper echelons of leadership. They just need the opportunity to serve. And Sonia, what's at stake here for the millions of Latinos in the United States if the status quo continues? If we continue to see an absence of meaningful public Latino representation in senior administration positions. We're going to see a lot of the same, and it's actually going to hurt all American households. What we saw with COVID-19 relief and recovery is that Latinos were largely excluded from state and federal interventions. Sometimes this was purposeful. If you don't have people that are thinking creatively, that understand the needs of Latino families from Florida to Texas to Illinois to Iowa, then we simply are leaving out the highest labor force participation, $2.6 trillion in American gross domestic product. We're losing out on a return on investment that we sorely need as we bounce back. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insights, Sonia Diaz of the UCLA Latino Policy and Politics Initiative. Thank you. And several counties in California are once again under the threat from rapidly growing fires. Mass evacuations are underway. Several people are missing and at least two firefighters have already been injured. Here's Genesis Vieira with the latest. The mountains of Southern California turned red again. The sky covered with dense smoke. The strong winds of Santa Ana are loaded with ashes from the flames of the bonfire that started two nights ago at a house in Silverado Canyon and quickly swept away the forest area. They're stuck in there. They Linda, with tears in her eyes, tells us that she was evacuated at 2 o'clock in the morning. She is desperate because she doesn't know if her daughter-in-law managed to get out. The shopping center at the foot of Santiago Canyon has become a temporary refuge for evacuees because of the pandemic. Authorities said there's no shelter available and asked residents to stay with family and friends. We are prepared. We have all the papers ready. Four years ago, we were also evacuated because of the fires. The weather definitely makes it a challenge and we were prepared for it. Uh, you know, so uh, closely monitoring the weather every day and, and forecasting. According to Captain Wynn, the rapidly spreading fire has already consumed almost 5,000 acres and could not be contained. 
and to prevent further fires, the power supply could be cut, leaving 380,000 homes and businesses without service. Helicopters and tankers from different cities support the more than 240 firefighters who fight the flames on the ground. It is not known yet how many structures have been damaged. Reported by Socorro Cruz in Orange County, California, Genesis Vieira for U News. As California Governor Gavin Newsom warns residents in the Golden State of imminent stay-at-home orders as hospitals are reaching maximum capacity with thousands of COVID-19 patients, Businesses continue to struggle as the COVID-19 pandemic rages across the country and the unemployed are having to find creative ways to put food on the table. In Los Angeles, Salvador Duran spoke to those most affected as the city mayor calls for a total shutdown of non-essential activities. After having fallen ill from the coronavirus and losing his restaurant job earlier this year, Adolfo Juarez has had to reinvent himself. With the pandemic raging out of control, jobs are scarce. So he became a street vendor selling tacos on a Los Angeles street corner. He told us in Spanish he had no other choice in order to survive. But as the country is facing the worst wave of COVID-19 cases since the pandemic began, the city of Los Angeles has seen the most alarming numbers of positive cases nearly doubling in the last week. This prompted Mayor Eric Garcetti to make an astonishing recommendation. My message couldn't be simpler. It's time to hunker down. It's time to cancel everything. And if it isn't essential, don't do it. Don't meet up with others outside your household. Don't host a gathering. But the grim advice alarmed restaurant owners who are on the verge of bankruptcy. Francisco Contreras, who owns a Mexican restaurant in Los Angeles, says that in spite of his thousands of dollars in losses, he invested even more. $10,000 in a tent to serve his clients. But now he cannot use it because the city implemented a new restriction that prohibits restaurants to serve food outside. I think that was an unfair decision because you have all the Costco's, all the bigger chain uh, uh, stores that are not impacted. Those have no restrictions at all and you could see them how they, they are packed with people. The restaurant industry has been hit particularly hard and losses have been devastating. For Nadia Brica, it means facing reality. She says she will more than likely have to close her restaurant. Nuestros negocios Abrica, who says she was living the American dream as a restaurant owner, feels sad as her dream evaporates before her eyes. And now that California Governor Gavin Newsom introduced new stay-at-home orders, keeping her business is becoming even more difficult than ever. Stay-at-home orders for three weeks will go into effect the minute ICU capacity falls below 15 percent in any of the five regions in California. California designated by the governor. In Los Angeles, I'm Salvador Duran, U News. And federal officials are recommending that Mexican immigrants who live in the U.S. not travel back to their native country during the holiday season because of the high number of coronavirus infections on both sides of the border. Rafael Rodriguez has the details. 
Like every December over the last 30 years, Miguel Sanchez is preparing to travel by road back to his home country of Mexico. At this time every year, most of my family members get together the same way we did ever since we were kids. But all indications suggest that year-end travel to and from the U.S. to Mexico will be impacted after the CDC issued this official notice advising people to avoid all trips to Mexico due to the high number of coronavirus cases. Those of us here think that Mexico is overwhelmed by the virus, and those people there think the same thing about the U.S. There are whole towns in Mexico that are reluctant to let people in, and even more so if they find out you're coming from the United States. Some believe this announcement could create confusion since travel to Mexico is still technically permitted. It's exaggerated. We always take precautions, but we have the right to be with our families. What else would I like? For example, to be with my mother at the end of the year, but I can't. For the Mexican Consul General in Los Angeles, the city with the largest concentration of Mexicans outside that country, her government's position is clear. If you don't need to go to Mexico, don't do it, because you're risking yourself and you're risking your family. And she warns that though for the moment you can still enter Mexico from the U.S., that could soon change. During a pandemic, the advisories and public health measures are changing by the minute. They're taking a risk. It's better to make these sacrifices now in order to be able to see your family next year. Reported by Jaime Garcia in Los Angeles, Rafael Rodriguez, U News. And with coronavirus cases rising in Michigan, some good news. Vulnerable communities aren't being affected as disproportionately. An interim report from the state's COVID-19 task force on racial disparities shows significant improvements have been made. The number of cases among black residents fell from 179 per, per million in March and April to 59 cases per million in September and October. Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilgris who chairs the task force, says it's taken work in a lot of areas to get those results. Gilchrist also says the task force will continue its work throughout the winter. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. U News covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. The French government on Thursday recommended that Christmas and New Year's Eve gatherings be limited to a maximum of six adults with no limit on children. In light of the coronavirus pandemic, you will be able to gather with your loved ones during the holidays, Prime Minister John Castex said, adding quotes, but you won't be able to celebrate Christmas and New Year's Eve the way we used to. He also said the lockdowns in France would continue as planned for the next two weeks with the restrictions easing on December 15th. 
Meanwhile, in Brazil, the governor of the state of Sao Paulo said Thursday that COVID-19 immunizations would begin in January, adding that he expected the federal health regulator Anvisa to authorize the Sinovac vaccine before then. A Sao Paulo biomedical center on Thursday received one million doses of a Chinese COVID-19 vaccine developed by Sinovac BioNTech that is undergoing late-stage testing by the institute at 16 locations in Brazil. And elsewhere in Latin America, thousands of members of social movements gathered on Thursday in In Alto, a neighboring city to La Paz, Bolivia, to welcome former Bolivian President Evo Morales back to the country. Morales' supporters carrying flags of his party, the movement towards socialism, received Morales' at the airport in Alto. Morales also met with Bolivia's president, Luis Arce, and the cabinet at the government palace in the capital. And this Sunday, parliamentary elections will be held in Venezuela. Embattled leader Nicolás Maduro is looking to control the National Assembly. And as we are about to hear, there's more controversial comments he has made surrounding this election. It's the final day of a dual election campaign as the presence of the late Hugo Chavez lingering in the air. But this is the era of Nicolas Maduro. Already in power for seven years, Maduro is preparing to further cement his position for several more years by conquering the only institution he did not control, the National Assembly. If the opposition wins again, I will leave the presidency. Maduro is trying to turn this parliamentary election, in which his position is not at stake, into a referendum. But it's an election that he designed so that losing would be impossible, since the majority of the opposition is not participating and is calling the entire process a fraud. Today, while Venezuela has a dictatorship, there is no guarantee. We are fighting for the guarantee. Maduro was able to make a deal with some dissident opposition members to give them control and electoral influence in major opposition parties after the country's Supreme Court intervened. We are more convinced than ever that the Venezuela's problems only can be solved by Venezuelans. But Maduro has a problem. His choices have not caught the attention of the voters. Most polls show that election abstention levels could be as high as 80%. It's the same people. I don't see a change. There are no new faces. And in the face of a possibility of very low turnout, the ruling party has been active in recent days, activating one of its main social controls, the use of food as a political weapon to mobilize the public. Reported by Francisco Uristieta, this is Gianni Aponte for U News. And there's new controversy in Mexico after President Andres Manuel López Obrador vowed to end privileges enjoyed by those who are president in that country. But the opposition claims his words are just that and not backed by any action witnessed so far. Here's Paulina Gomez with more. El día de hoy... The Senate in Mexico has brought an end to a 163-year-long era of presidential protection. This is truly a historic milestone. The president was unjudgeable for any crime, only for treason to the nation. Now that presidential immunity has been revoked, a move initially proposed by President Andrés Manuel López Obrador himself and approved by the Congress, the president of Mexico could face justice. With this reform to the Constitution, the president could be judged like any other citizen. It is the end for this special immunity. 
Presidential immunity in Mexico dates back to 1857 and is still in force. But while the president celebrated this victory, members of the opposition in Congress were claiming that the move is a hoax, as the president will still be protected even with their reform. The catalog of crimes to judge the president will only expand. In addition to treason, the president, under the new law, could be prosecuted for corruption, electoral crimes and any other crime for which a citizen can be tried. Despite being vested with this special immunity, it doesn't mean that he can do anything and get away with it. This reform has a hook. For the president to face charges, first, Congress must repeal his presidential powers. Do you know what is required to prosecute the president with this reform? He has to be accused in the Chamber of Deputies, and then this chamber has to accuse him in the Senate, and we are going to become the jury. Are citizens judged by the Senate? Besides, President López Obrador stated once more that he rejects re-election. Despite the controversy, this reform will be sent to the local congresses in order to be approved before the end of this year. Paulina Gómez-Bulsinar in Mexico City, U News. A new video is showing the devastating moment one of the most powerful telescopes on Earth, located in Puerto Rico, collapsed. Drone footage caught the moment when the telescope platform at the Arecibo Observatory fell on December 1st. Engineers say all three support towers broke off, causing the 900-ton platform to plummet down into a dish below. Video shows the telescope's support cables also dropped. Officials say the observatory's learning center was damaged but the, uh, by the falling cables, but thankfully no one was injured. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review.